Do you remember the first time you were shocked by a Christian that you held in very high esteem? They did something, said something that you thought would never come from them. There comes a time when people that we have on a high pedestal, we've looked up to, admired, sooner or later will disappoint us. I've lived long enough to say, I think without exception, every person that I've ever begun to admire a little bit too much sooner or later disappointed me. You see, we sometimes have a naive view of Christians. Uh, It's not their fault, it's our fault, because we should understand that the best of men are men at best, and we should never put anybody on a pedestal and think that that person could never do anything wrong. I can remember my first mentor back in 1950. Six. His name was Billy Ball, still alive. He's about 89 years old. Uh, he can barely speak. And what I'm going to tell you, I've discussed with him uh, several times. Uh, how I remember looking up to him, thinking that if God spoke, it would be through him. He wouldn't speak through me. But I always thought there are other people, God would choose them. And that's the way I looked at Billy Ball. And I remember saying to Billy one day, you know, people so often have disappointed me, but I looked at him and I said, you never will. Do you know, within a year, that man so let me down, he even betrayed me. He turned his back on me. And it was like a new world. In a sense, I've never recovered from it. It's not his fault, it's my fault. We should never get our eyes on a single person and think, they're the ones, they're the ones that are so perfect. Just remember, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? And you need to know that about your heart, but everyone else's. Let nothing surprise you. And yet, you know, there's a sense in which the world isn't surprised by anything they see in Christians anymore. There was a time people looked up to Christians, but in the world, they see them do all these things that the world does with their sex, with their money, and hardly ever does a Christian shock anybody anymore. Not good. Christians ought to be different. There ought to be something about us that would make the world want what we've got. But it's not turning out that way. Well, do you remember the time you discovered that somebody wasn't perfect? I want to deal with the issue of when you have to grow up fast. What I mean by that is you're not given notice But all of a sudden, maturity is thrust upon you. And this actually happened to the man we're going to look at today. We're looking at uh, defining moments 
in the lives of major people in the Old Testament. And today we're looking at Samuel, one of the great prophets. He was the first of an era of prophets. And Samuel uh, was the one that God chose to tell Israel they shouldn't have a king. Samuel was the one that got him a king. Samuel was the one that uh, led them through a difficult period of time. And there are two books named after him, one and two Samuel. His definitive moment came, would you believe, when he was a toddler, possibly eight or nine years old. We don't know exactly when. He was brought up by a home, in a home, where the mother had been barren for years and prayed for a baby. She wanted a baby more than anything in the world. And she said, Lord, if you will give me a boy, I will give him back to you. And I will give him to the house of the Lord. I'll, I'll let him go to the house of Eli and let him grow up there. That's how much I want that boy. And God answered her prayer. So at some time after he was weaned, maybe after a couple years, uh, maybe not immediately, we don't know exactly when, but we know this, that little Samuel, uh, he didn't have a childhood like most boys. Uh, he grew up uh, with uh, these authority figures. And the main one at the time was a man by the name of Eli. He was the high priest. And if God spoke, it was through Eli. And this was the assumption. God only spoke to Eli. Well, the little boy Samuel, <clears throat> one night in his sleep, or he's awakened, and he hears the words, Samuel, Samuel. So he jumps up and goes to Eli, the high priest, and said, you called. And the high priest said, no, I didn't call. Go back to bed. Sometime later, the voice, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps out of bed, runs to Eli, and said, you called. No, I didn't call. Go back to bed. Would you believe a third time the voice comes, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli and said, you called. And at this point, Eli twigs and says, God is speaking to this boy and says, go back to bed. And if you hear that voice again, just answer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so the child goes back to bed and the voice comes, Samuel, Samuel. And the little boy says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And what you're going to hear now, you might think is too much for a little child to absorb. But sometimes we are required to take on things that we think we're not able to take on. And God is going to speak directly to little Samuel, a toddler. You say, would God speak to a child? Yes, 
Jonathan Edwards, the greatest theologian the American continent ever produced, tells when he was four years old of having a glimpse of the glory of God. I was converted when I was six and a half years old. And so God can come while you are young. And yet, what Samuel is about to hear, you could make the case, surely, he's not able to absorb this. But the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke. Samuel probably didn't know that God had said anything against Eli. Samuel grows up believing that Eli is the man of God. What little Samuel couldn't have known is that Eli had been negligent, had two sons who were doing contemptible things. And Eli knew about it, but just kind of swept the dirt under the carpet. Parents will do this sometimes when they ought to be correcting, when they ought to be rebuking, when they ought to be bringing up their children as they should. But Eli was not a good parent and allowed things to happen right under his nose and did nothing about it. And so God is angry. So he bypasses Eli. He's not going to speak to him and goes to this little boy. He's hearing things for the first time. I will carry out everything against Eli I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible. He failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli. The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Well, Samuel goes back to bed. Goes back to sleep, I guess, if he could sleep after that. But I can tell you who probably didn't sleep was Eli. Because Eli knew something was happening. And so the next day, Eli goes to Samuel and now speaks to Samuel in a way that the little boy is not prepared for. And Eli, who is in a state of panic, you can almost see the old man taking the little child by his shoulders and saying, tell me everything he said. May God strike you dead if you don't tell me everything he said. It was almost like that. And so the little boy has to say, to the revered high priest. God is going to judge your sons. God is going to judge you. And your sin will not be atoned for. Imagine a little boy having to tell that to the high priest. It is to the high priest's everlasting credit that he isn't defensive. He just says... It's the Lord. It's okay. I wonder if there's one here today 
you are not that much unlike Eli. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. You know when God really speaks. And when he speaks, there's something about it that even if it's from a child, Eli knew that little Samuel couldn't be making this up. And now he realizes God has spoken. I believe that God is going to speak in this service. I think he's on someone's case here. It may be only one person. You say, would, would God speak, single out one person in an audience of several hundred? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When he's on your case, he will make it clear. And I want to tell you something. If you hear a word that you know in your heart of hearts, this is God. He's, uh, he's on my case. He's after me. Trust me. Take that word. Embrace it. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because it may be that you will never hear God speak again like this. I told a story in the first service. I haven't thought about for years. Haven't told it in years. Haven't thought about it. And it came to me today. And I think I should tell it here. It's a story that goes back to when I was 15 years old. As a teenager in my hometown of Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, when I came uh, home from school every day, I uh, delivered newspapers. I had 112 customers uh, in my neighborhood on Hilton Avenue, Lexington Avenue, in five blocks. It took me about a half hour to deliver all the newspapers. And I never will forget coming at the close of that time one Monday evening. It would have been around 4.30 or 5 o'clock on a Monday afternoon after I delivered the papers. My mother looked at me and said, have you heard about Patsy? I said, no. What are you talking about? And she started to cry and told me what had just happened. And both of us knew it went back to the day before because on that Sunday, we had closed a 14-day period meeting. Uh, uh, in America, when we have uh, protracted meetings, uh, we, we call them revivals. Uh, not always a good word, it's a hasty word because not always does revival come. Uh, in Britain, they are safe. They call them missions. That way, it's not promising anything. But uh, in America, they call them revivals. Uh, I think the way that word got started is possibly called years ago when they'd have a series of services, revival did happen. The Lord just showed up. But, you know, they kept using the term. Uh, however, that said, for those 14 days, there was a touch of God on that place. And the evangelist was a man by the name of W.M. Tidwell. What makes me smile, 
When I used to tell this story, I referred to the fact that he was 80 years old, and I thought, that is old. <laughs> Do you know, four, four weeks from tomorrow, I'll be 80? And, uh, uh, don't, no, 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 don't clap. I mean, you already knew that. You don't, don't need to rub it in, but uh, it's so funny. I used to think of old tottery Dr. Tidwell, 80 years old, and here I am telling the story, and I'm 80. Uh, but, but here's the story. He was an eccentric uh, old preacher, and uh, he would illustrate his sermons in, in an unusual way. And uh, that Sunday morning, I was taken out of the Sunday school class. Our morning worship would be at 11. At 9.30, you come to Sunday school. And I was called out of the class. And old Dr. Tidwell wanted to see me. And uh, there were four men there in the room, uh, four kind of the deacons, uh, elders of the church. And he explained that he was going to preach on the parable of the, of the man who did not have the wedding garment. Uh, I'm going to be speaking this week at IBIOL on uh, some of the parables of Jesus. Whether I deal with that one, I, I don't know. But that's what he was going to preach on. Where the person was asked, why don't you have your wedding garment? And he was speechless. And they bound him hand and foot. And he was cast into outer darkness. That's the parable. Well, Dr. Tidwell is going to illustrate that. At an appropriate time in the service, he was going to have me come up and sit in a little chair uh, in front of the pulpit. And the four men on signal would come up and bind me hand and foot. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I, I should have known, but I, I just was kind of nervous. And I was thinking, what did the other kids think? That I'll be sitting down here in this chair and they're sitting back here. But uh, what I found out later, there was a great sense of God on the service. And when those men took me out, they bound my hands and my feet carried me on their shoulders like I was a coffin and back out through the center aisle all the way out of the, went out the front door. All I could think of is when they, if I go outside that door, I hope that my girlfriend, Joyce Sue Blevins, who lives across the street, doesn't see me come out or these men <laughs> carrying me on this, uh, uh, on their <laughs> shoulders. What I didn't know, that there was a sense of awe on the service. My mother remembers that as Dr. Tidwell preached, one of the young ladies, her name was Patsy Branham, she was 16 years old, was very rude in the service, talked out loud, made fun of the preacher, and laughed at me in big time as I was being carried out. When all of a sudden, Dr. Tidwell said, someone here is getting their last call. Now, when a young 20-year-old evangelist says that, it's usually a gimmick. But this is an 80-year-old man. He had nothing to prove. I found out later he's never done that before. And he just said, somebody here is getting their last call. And because of this, I'm not going to dismiss the service. 
If you don't respond, this is it. He turned the service over to the pastor who said, well, I'm not going to dismiss. So he just sat down. And over the next several minutes, nervously, people just got up and, and went home. And that was it. I come home from delivering my newspapers. My mother said, have you heard about Patsy? No, what, what? She's just been killed. As she was walking down Montgomery Avenue, coming to the stop sign, some kids, kids will do things like this, turn the stop side around, stop side around, and the car coming one way, didn't know of the change, another coming another direction, hit the car, parallel as Patsy was walking, careened up on the sidewalk, killed her instantly. We both remembered the last words of Dr. Tidwell. Someone is getting their last call. They weren't able to find him till five or six days later. He'd gone on to another place and told him what happened. When I go back to Ashland, I will drive Louise to 25th and Montgomery. I say there, right on that corner. It was a definitive moment for me. I never quite got over it. Listen, this is a no joke thing when God speaks. Listen, I'm not saying anybody here is getting their last call. I don't have that kind of authority. I'm not saying it. But I am saying this. If you hear his voice, take it. Embrace it. You don't know if he will speak. My spirit will not always strive with man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And wouldn't it be horrible if there's someone here? Could be, could be. God's on your case and you've shown up today. And you know that no one could have informed me of your presence. There's no way I could have known this. But in your heart, you're saying, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. All I'm saying is, obey him. The sweetest voice in the world was when you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. says, come, come, come to me. Well, now that is the way that Samuel was introduced to his ministry. Think about that. But he hears from God. And we're told... In verse 19 of what Bruce just read, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's an expression that means that if a prophet said something, it wasn't wasted. It, was, it would be right. A true man of God, when he speaks, his words don't fall to the ground. You can believe them. This is the way to know a valid prophet. His words don't fall to the ground. Living in a time when there are many would-be prophets, about nine out of ten of them will say, the Lord told me. And I preached a few weeks ago, warning you don't say that. 
Even if he did tell you, you don't need to use the Lord's name. Just, just say, I believe this is the way it is. In any case, so much happens today. People claiming prophetic gifts. God told me this. No, he told me this. I'm sorry, but he told me this. And nobody's hearing from him. You see, it was a time, we're told in verse 1, in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. I sometimes think we're living in the period of the judges. When everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And there's no real voice from beyond. A voice that is from God. We're living in a time when we're hearing all kinds of voices and people ask, who has got the truth? Who can we believe? I can tell you one thing. When God speaks, there is a ring of authority with it. When Eli heard this word from little Samuel, even though it was a child, Eli knew Samuel couldn't have made that up. And so when it's a voice from God, you will know. Preacher's not making that up. God's on your case. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You have no promise that God will return again to you. Well, it turned out that Eli's two sons were struck dead by the Holy Spirit days later. And Eli himself was also struck dead. None of his words fell to the ground. Well now, from this point, Samuel hears from God. Not going to be through Eli anymore. The people of Israel had fallen spiritually. And they came up with an idea. They said, we want a king. We want a king like other nations. And Samuel said, please, this is not good. This is not a good idea at all. You don't need a king. Please don't ask for a king. Oh, they said, we want a king like other nations. You see, the truth is they weren't supposed to be like other nations. Israel was different. Israel was special. And maybe you, you're wanting to follow the trends. You want to wear what everybody's wearing. You want to go where they go. God wants you to be different. You don't have to be like everybody else. Stand alone if necessary. What if nobody else follows you? You have to give an account for your soul one day. When you stand before God, you won't have your friends around telling you what to say, what to do. It'll be between you and God. And I would suggest you listen today. Don't worry about the person with you. Don't worry about what they think. Oh, the Israelites says, we want to be like other nations. God said to Samuel, give them their king. It was a sad moment. There comes a time when you keep asking for something and God will caution you, this is not good for you. Oh, but I want it more than anything in the world. And God says to the people of Israel, you sure you want this? Oh, yes, 
Give us a king. And God said to Samuel, let them have their king. There's a verse in Psalm 84, verse 11. I live by this verse every day. I, I, I think I think of it every day. Maybe not every day, but pretty close. I think of it all the time. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He will give grace and glory. Listen to this. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I can assure you of this. You follow the Lord, he will deprive you of nothing that is right and good for you. If it's good for you, you will have it. You say, well, what I want I don't have and I've got to have it. Don't be a fool. Would you really want what God doesn't want you to have? Some will say, yes, I do. But God will say, okay, here goes. And you get it. There's a verse in Psalm 106. I think it's verse 15. The Lord granted their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Sent a wasting disease. The worst thing that can happen to you is when you get what you want and it's not what God wants you to have. God taught Samuel a lesson. It's an important word for anybody going into ministry. When people reject the word, don't take it personally. God said to Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. I preached yesterday in Birmingham. Uh, how many ordinands? 28? 26. And this would have been a good word for them to say when your people don't listen to you, don't take it personally. Just remember they're rejecting the Lord, not you. And Samuel didn't take it personally. And the proof of that is God told Samuel, get him a king. If Samuel was a small man, he would have said, I'm not going to get them a king. They didn't listen to me. I'm not going to give them a king. No, he wasn't like that. Get him a king. And Samuel got the best he could find. He looked high and low over Israel. Found Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin. Got them the best they could find. And we're told that God gave Saul another heart. And he was even given the spirit of prophecy. He prophesied. They said, is Saul among the prophets? And Saul was later chosen to be the king. And he got off to a brilliant beginning. And you would have thought, this is the wave of the future. This is marvelous. Until one day, Saul had his definitive moment. Almost certainly, this is going to be my sermon next week. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I want to speak to you next week on the definitive moment of Israel's first king. But here's where it, it happened. They were waiting for Samuel to show up. For some reason, Samuel was late. And King Saul said, bring me the burnt offerings. I'll offer them. And in that moment, he crossed over a line, did something, went right against Scripture. And... This is something only the person called of God should do. 
He says, well, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. He offered the burnt offering. And at that point, Samuel did turn up and said, what have you done? And he said, well, you weren't here and I, I had to do it. I felt compelled. Listen to this. I felt compelled. What a foolish statement. Have you ever said, I felt compelled to do this as, as if that makes it right? You, you just had to do it? Or I've heard some actually say, God told me. God told you? What if it goes against the Bible? I don't care if it's against the Bible or not. God told me. I've heard people say that. There are those who think they hear from God. Listen. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. This is, is most wonderful product. This perfect product. God's Word. He wrote it. He's unashamed of what he wrote. And when he speaks to you, he's not going to tell you one thing against what he said already. Remember how to know when you're hearing from God. It will cohere with Holy Scripture. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, God doesn't replace the miraculous. Uh, he gives you Scripture. Uh, in other words, the way to know whether you're hearing from God, because Scripture is given to correct abuses, not to correct, not to replace the miraculous. And to know you've heard from God, it'll always cohere with Scripture. If you think you've heard a word from God, you make sure that it coheres with what He's already said. This is the way to know you've really heard from God. Well, King Saul became yesterday's man. And so right after that, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel said, Well, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Here's an interesting thing. What is going on now in the life of Samuel? It lets us see that no matter how old we get, how far we've gone, how long we serve the Lord, you never outgrow the need to go outside your comfort zone. What's your comfort zone? Well, that's where the temperature's just right, about 20 degrees, perfect comfort zone. First time we lived in England, we'd gone to the continent for July and traveled over France and Switzerland, Italy, and coming back to Calais, it was hot. I would say the temperature was uh, like 37, 40 degrees. That'd be over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was so hot. And when we landed at Dover, our daughter Melissa was just four or five years old. She said, England is air conditioned. <laughs> comfort zone. We all like to be in our comfort zone where God gives us easy things to do. Well, God said, Samuel, 
I want you to go to the house of Jesse. I know one of his sons king. How can I do this? Saul will hear about it. Here's what interests me. By this time, Samuel is an old man. He's done his job. He's proved himself. He's made his reputation. He's a legend. Surely God would find somebody else to do it. He wouldn't ask Samuel to do something like this. But he said, sorry, Samuel, I'm not finished with you yet. I remember when at Westminster Chapel, our 25 years there, the most controversial thing I did in 25 years was to invite Arthur Blessed. Best move I made in 25 years, if you want my honest opinion. But he got me in a lot of trouble, big trouble. Half the deacons turned against me, tried to get me fired. They almost succeeded. We barely survived the hardest days Louise and I ever went through. It was horrible. When it was finally over and I survived, I said, never again am I going to do anything controversial. I proved I would do it. I'm going to coast the rest of my time in Westminster. And God looked down from heaven and said, really? <laughs> and do you know, I had to do it again. I had to invite somebody more controversial than Arthur. And after that, somebody more controversial than him. And even up to the last week I was there, Last thing, do you know the last guest we had at Westminster Chapel was Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, just a few days before I left, I could have lost everything the last hour because he's a wild card. He's a loose cannon. He could have ruined me. But I had to do it. And maybe you think, I've served the Lord a long time. I've proved I would do what he asked me to do. And God says, I'm not finished with you yet. And if you think that you can now go outside your comfort zone, I can tell you now, when you're 80 years old, you're still having to do things that you didn't want to do. Hard decisions. Lord, please give me a break at my age. He can be ruthless. He won't bend the rules for anybody here. And he says to Samuel, Go to the house of Jesse. So now he goes, risking his life. Well, he comes to the house of Jesse, and he sees Jesse, and, and Jesse brings out his firstborn. And his name is Eliab. And Samuel jumps the gun and says, Jesse, good news, Eliab, new king. In fact, as soon as Samuel saw alive, he said, the Lord's anointed stands right here. It was an easy mistake for Samuel to make because the firstborn got double the inheritance. So Eliab is there. He's Eliab. And all of a sudden, God said, whoa. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And he has to turn to Jesse and say, sorry, I got that wrong. But this is 
something I think is so beautiful. It shows the greatness of Samuel in front of everybody, willing to climb down. So I made a mistake. I said it was a lie. I was wrong. You see, the trouble with prophetic people today, so many of them, they say something, God said it, not going to change my mind. They're so proud. I actually know a man who has the same publisher I do, who when he sends a manuscript to the publisher, he won't let an editor go through it. He said, everything I've written is God. <laughs> then what you do, Bruce, you send it, is all your stuff verbally inspired from God? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I want editors to do all they can with my stuff. I need all the help I can get. Here's Samuel. I made a mistake. Who's next? Well, they brought in Abinadab. Sorry, Jesse, it's not him either. Got any more? Oh, yeah. Shammah. Mm, now Samuel's begun to wonder, what have I done wrong? It's not this one. How many sons you got? Oh, we got a bunch of them. And they have several passed by. And now seven of them passed by. And Samuel says, I've lost it. I'm sorry. The Lord's anointing is not here. Are these all the sons you've got? Well, Jesse says, we do have one, but you don't want him. <laughs> Samuel said, do you mind? They go and get the very man no one would have dreamed to be God's chosen. And they bring out David, 17-year-old. And the Holy Spirit says, that's the one. God has a way of choosing the very person you would never have dreamed to be the one. What's interesting to me is that David wasn't even going to be notified that the great Samuel was coming to dinner. Jesse, his own father, had shown such lack of respect, I guess that's the word, for little David. He wasn't even going to tell him that Samuel's coming. David would never have known. And perhaps you almost missed it. Perhaps you didn't go to church when they had a great service and you think, well, if the Lord really loved me, I'd have been there. And you feel pushed back, pushed behind the door. God just doesn't love you. Listen, if you're like David, a man after God's own heart, he knows where you are. He'll find you. And he's found you today. He's on your case. If any man hear my voice, take this word. Do you believe that God has spoken to you today? Do you? Have you heard a word that you think, I know today God spoke to me. Then I have to ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Would you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he could do, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Suppose it's the real thing. You're standing before God and you can't look at a friend and say, what do you think I should say? You won't have that chance. He says, tell me, why should I let you in? And there's only one answer. 
You give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there. What would you say? What comes to your mind? God says, why should I let you in? If the thought that Jesus dying on the cross for your sins has not already entered your mind, I would not want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. You see, you should have thought of that. That should have been the first thing. I've got one hope of going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. Get in there. Well, if you would not have said that, we can sort that out right now. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. If you can repeat this prayer in your heart, don't need to say it out loud. I want you to say it because God will hear you. In your heart, just say this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on a cross for my sins. Wash my sins away by his blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. That's the prayer. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? I don't know. Usually, in a congregation this size, at least one, at least one will have prayed that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, and you might be the only one here who did, I want you, in about 20 seconds from now, to stand up right where you are. You say, in front of all these people? Hmm, yes. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech, but to show you're not ashamed. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, wherever you are, stand up. There's one. There's others. Remain standing. Good. Good. Good.